All right. Good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome to all of you who are on live stream this morning. So as Keith said, uh, back in the fall, we did a series on the parables in the Gospel of Luke. And I thought it would be fun to start off 2022 by continuing the parables, not just in Luke. Uh, we're going to jump around several different Gospels. Uh, so that's, that's the plan for the next five weeks or so. Just in case even the word parables might be new to you, uh, Parables are short, simple stories that are used to communicate a spiritual or moral point. They're a very common method of instruction for Jewish rabbis, especially during Jesus' time. And Jesus loved to use parables. In fact, about 35% of all Jesus' recorded words are parables. So whether we like them or not... Uh, if we want to follow Jesus, we've got to wrestle with parables. Um, Jesus' disciples, they, uh, they once asked him, why do you speak in parables so much? And the answer that he gave is kind of hard to understand. Interesting. It's like, why are you hard to understand? And then he gives an answer that's kind of hard to understand. But if I were to summarize his answer, it's something like, I speak in parables so that those whose hearts are open to the truth will seek it, and those who aren't will just go, huh, and move on. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at some parables, and we're going to do our best not just to go, huh, and move on, but to seek the meaning, the truth that Jesus is expressing. So... If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Matthew 20, verse 1. And as you make your way there, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this wintry morning. And um, God, we pray that uh, whether we are uh, here in person or watching on live stream, uh, that your spirit would fill us right now, that you would direct our thoughts, that you would help us to attend uh, to these words. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us insight and that through these words, uh, you would bring us more in line with your will, uh, that you would conform our thoughts more to your thoughts. We welcome you to work within us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Matthew 20, verse 1, this is what's known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired 
and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. All right, so what is that all about? Jesus opens this parable with, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's a phrase that begins a lot of his parables. And when you hear those words, I want you to think something like, the way God works is similar to this. Or, the way God's kingdom spreads and operates is similar to this. What's it like? Well, it's like this story. It doesn't mean it's exactly like this, but it's like this. It's similar to this. So let's recap. He says that a landowner is looking for some people to work in his vineyard. So he goes to the marketplace where apparently in those days people who were unemployed would stand in some area of the marketplace and hope that somebody came by with some work for them. The landowner probably goes about 6 a.m. in the morning, early in the morning. That was when the workday started, early risers in those days. So he goes to this unemployed corner of the marketplace and he finds some people standing there and he says, hey, you know, uh, I'll give you a denarius if you come and work in my field. And a denarius at the time was this, the going wage for a day's work. That was what was expected. So they thought, well, that's fair. And so they follow him, go to the vineyard, and they get to work. Now, three hours later, he comes back, nine in the morning. A little unusual for a landowner to go back to this unemployed corner of the marketplace again, but he does. And obviously, this group of people, they weren't there earlier, so this group's a little less ambitious, a little less driven, kind of, kind of people that like to hit the snooze button a few times, right? Um, but he still says, you know, why you come work in my vineyard, and, you know, I'll pay you what's right. So they agree. They go. Then the landlord comes back three hours later at noon. This is a very weird landlord that he would keep going back. And the people who are there at that point, I mean, these people, they probably weren't even expecting work at that point. And they were probably just there to loiter and, you know, shoot the breeze with their friends. And he still says, you want to come work in my vineyard? I say, sure. Three in the afternoon, he comes back. He does the same thing. Again, this is a very strange landlord. You know, you would think at that point he'd be like, I don't need you lazy loiterers. But still, he invites them. Come and work in my vineyard. They say yes. And then at five in the afternoon, this is just one hour before the workday is over, he still goes back, goes to the unemployed corner of the marketplace, and he sees people standing around, and he says to them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they answer, because no one has hired us. Which, I'm like, come on. 
No one's hired you all day. This guy has been there four times before, right? So this is just a pathetic excuse. They just didn't really want to work the rest of the day. That's the way I take that. But again, the landowner doesn't say, I don't want you guys. You know, the landowner says, well, come on, come and work in my vineyard. There's an hour left. Okay, we'll go. So evening comes, meaning just an hour passes, time for everybody to get paid. And the foreman says, okay, I want everybody to line up. I want the people who came last today to be in the front and the people who worked the whole day to go all the way to the back, which I suspect for the people who worked the whole day, that would be encouraging. It would be a sign. Oh, good, we're going to get rewarded proportionally here, right? But the people in the back... They start to notice, as those people who came at 5 p.m. start to walk towards them after going up to the foreman, that they are carrying a denarius, which is what they were supposed to get. And so they see this, and I imagine what they would think is, huh, we're going to get paid like two weeks' worth of wages because they're getting a denarius for one hour of work. This is awesome. And then they get up to the front, and the foreman pushes into their calloused, sunburnt hands one denarius. And they say, you've got to be kidding me. I want to speak to the manager, right? So they complain. Say, so what's the deal here? And the manager says, I have not been unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do that with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The way God works is similar to this. God is like a landowner who keeps inviting people to work in his field. Even people who have turned down prior invitations, even lazy loiterers who like to hit the snooze button, he keeps saying, come, follow me, come work in my field. And for those who say yes, at the end of the day, no one receives less than what they were promised, and some people get shown a lot of grace. No one gets less than what they were promised. That's important to recognize. 6 a.m. crew, they had agreed to work for one denarius, right? That was a reasonable pay for a day's work. And that is what they received. Now, some people who worked a lot less, they also got the same amount. They were shown a lot of grace. But nobody got less and what they were promised. That's important. So here's how I would summarize what Jesus is saying through this parable. In the kingdom of heaven, generosity is valued more than fairness. I'll put fairness in quotes. Fairness. In the kingdom of heaven, generosity is valued more than fairness. Now, if you sympathize with those early workers, which... I don't want you to feel bad if you do, because in all honesty, I understand where they're coming from, right? If you sympathize with them, you might say, okay, great, 
The kingdom of heaven is a generous place. I'm okay with those later workers getting a full denarius. That's fine. But why couldn't God be more generous to the early workers? Right? If, if, if the whole idea is generosity, just be more generous to them. Why, why not? Right? Well, here's a way of thinking about all of this that I find helpful. Okay, remember, the denarius is a standard day's wage. So if you were going to live at that time, you needed about a denarius a day to get by. So I see the denarius as representing something like what is needed. Okay? So the early workers were given what they needed, and the late workers were given what they needed. Now, the late workers hadn't earned it, but they were still given what they needed. The kingdom of heaven is a place where God gives everyone what they need. Even people who have fallen so woefully short of earning that, God gives them what they need. Because God cares more about everyone having what they need than about things being, quote, fair, according to our standards. God cares more about everyone having what they need than about things being fair. Whether you are somebody who feels like you have been working in God's field for 40 years or just a couple days, we should all be relieved to hear that God values generosity more than human ideas of fairness. That is such good news. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am so happy that when God came to earth in the flesh to reveal what God is like to us, that he told stories about God like this. This is such good news. If you are someone who has spent years ignoring or rejecting God's call to come to him, to follow him, to open your heart to him, Jesus is telling you, it's not too late to accept the invitation. No matter how much time you've wasted, no matter how many times you've said no, no matter how much time you've spent just standing around, the invitation is still there. And if you say yes, if you open your heart to him, you're going to have everything you need now and on into eternity. God will generously give that to you. It's not too late. Now that's the good news, but I do want to give a warning. You might hear that and think, well, why would I bother being part of the 6 a.m. crew? I will just take my time, I will live for myself, and at the very last minute I'll say, okay, Jesus. Now there's a lot wrong with that way of thinking, more than we can get into right now. But here's the one warning I would give, if that's where your mind goes. You have to remember that agreeing to follow Jesus isn't just about saying, okay, Jesus, I follow you. It's not just words. It's an attitude of the heart. Every decision that you make today helps to shape and form you into the kind of person you're going to be tomorrow. Right? So if today you are the kind of person who says no when Jesus invites you to follow him, who are you shaping yourself to be tomorrow? The kind of person who also says no to following him. Right? So there's a real risk involved 
in putting off saying yes to God's invitation. Because the more you say yet, no, the more you harden your heart, and the, the harder it becomes for your heart to really open up to God's invitation and say yes. Not because God's not still extending the invitation, but because your heart has been hardened. Right? So now is the best time to say yes. But God will always be there extending the invitation. So that's the good news that this parable gives to those of us who might be on the fence about following Jesus, those of us who have said no for a long time or ignored him. But I think that this parable is really directed more towards people who identify with that 6 a.m. crew, the people who feel like they have been trying to follow Jesus for a long time. And I think it's likely that the kind of people who are listening to this right now probably fall more in that camp. So, what Jesus is saying here is something about the kind of attitude that he wants his followers to have, especially people who have been following him for for a long time. What is that? Well, in order to really appreciate what Jesus is saying... I think we need to look at the context of this parable. If you were here in the fall, you know that's one of my favorite things to say. We've got to look at what happens right before. So if you've got your Bible open, just go back a little bit to uh, Matthew 19, verse 23. This happens right after Jesus has had a conversation with a rich man. And he's told the rich man that if, if he wants to follow him, he should sell all of his riches and give the money to the poor and then come and follow him. And the rich man has gone away sad because he doesn't want to do that. And then this is what happens. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So Jesus says, it is nearly impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, but it's not actually impossible, because with God all things are possible. So then Peter, who I think is the most relatable disciple, he chimes in and he says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In other words, well, that rich guy didn't do what you asked, but we all did. I mean, we left everything. So, what are we going to get? So Jesus says to him, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So what Jesus says to Peter is basically, if someone makes sacrifices to follow me, in the end, it is going to be worth it. You are going to be more than compensated. 
the reward that you are going to have is going to so far outweigh the suffering that you experience, it's just going to seem like nothing. That's, that's Jesus' answer to Peter. And he concludes with a saying, which should, should sound familiar, because he used the same saying at the end of the parable. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So by first, of course, Jesus means the well-off people, the wealthy people, people like the rich man. right? And he's saying, in this life right now, most people regard those kinds of people, those wealthy people, as the first, the winners in life. And they look at people like you who have nothing, except you're just following along, following around with me, this itinerant rabbi. They look at you and they think of you as the last, the poor, the pathetic, right? But he says, at the end, at the renewal of all things, there's going to be a, a big switcheroo, right? Where now the people who sacrifice so much for his sake are going to be the glorified ones, the ones who are rewarded, the ones who have won, so to speak. So that is the setup for the parable. Peter saying, we left everything to follow you. Is it going to be worth it? And Jesus saying, absolutely. Yes, it is going to be worth it. Now, if Jesus had just left it at that, you can imagine that the disciples might start to get a little arrogant. Right? I'm going to be first. Not like that rich guy. I am so much holier than him. I'm such a good worker for Jesus. Jesus is lucky to have me. They could start to think that way. And I think Jesus immediately told this parable to correct that kind of thinking. Because think about it. Jesus tells them they're going to be rewarded in heaven, lavishly. right? And then he tells them a story about God being generous to people who haven't earned it. Correction. Here's what I hear Jesus saying here. Before you get arrogant, my disciples, remember, God is really generous. So, you know, that rich man, he might end up in the kingdom of heaven. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And if that rich man ends up in the kingdom of heaven and God gives him everything that he needs for all of eternity, you should be happy about it. You should celebrate that. Because God values generosity more than fairness. He cares more about everyone having what they need than about everyone getting what they deserve or what's fair. Here's something that is so interesting to me. Jesus uses that phrase, right? The first will be last and the last will be first twice. And if you look at the two times he uses it, it seems like they're contradicting each other. That who the first are and who the last are changes the two times that he uses it. The first time he says it, the last who end up first are the people who sacrifice the most. Right? The disciples. People like them. But the second time he says it, the last who end up first are the people who work the least. Did you notice that? See, Jesus is being intentionally disorienting. Right? He's trying to disorient his disciples, and I think he's trying to disorient us now as well. 
Because he wants us to go, wait, I thought I got it, but maybe I don't. What? He wants us to think a little bit more about this. Who we consider to be the first, the winners of life, is often wrong. But there's multiple ways that we can get it wrong. Okay, there's what we might call a worldly way of getting it wrong, but there's also what we might call a religious way of getting it wrong. And who you consider to be the first, or the last who will be first at the end, is going to depend on what social circle you're in. And there's errors that we can fall to in both of those social circles. So the worldly error is to think of the first, the winners of life in the end, as the wealthy, the powerful, the people who are fashionable and attractive and everybody has their approval and you know, the, the celebrities and that sort of thing, the, the billionaires who are you know, sending rockets to space. They are the first. They're the winners. That's the worldly error. And I think most of us who have been you know, in the church and following Jesus for a while, we immediately recognize that error. Right? Well, of course that's not true. Right? But the religious error is to think of the first, the winners at life, as the, quote, most pious people. The people who are the most disciplined and hardest working and severe. The people who are always extremely solemn and always have a bunch of rules to follow and they demand everybody else follows them and they look down on everyone who doesn't follow all those rules the people sweating out in the fields who want everyone else to notice that they're sweating more than anybody else. In religious communities, a lot of the time, the solemn, severe kind of people, the very, very pious, those are the people that are thought, well, they're going to be the first. I mean, they deny themselves any kind of pleasure, right? And what Jesus wants us to realize is that the first in God's eyes, the real winners, are not either of those kinds of people. Jesus said that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So who truly are the first? They are the people who love God and love their neighbors as themselves. Passionately, deeply. And you know, you can make a lot of religious sacrifices, religious, but not do them out of love for God or love for your neighbor. That is very possible. You know, Jesus says that any sacrifice that we make for his sake is not in vain, that we will be rewarded a hundred times over. But those words, for his sake, those are so important, for his sake. Not all religious sacrifices are really motivated by love for God or a love for our neighbor. Some of them are just motivated by pride and fear and desire for approval from the community around us. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote, I've always found this line fascinating, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to suffering that I may boast but do not have love, I have nothing. Suffering and sacrifice done out of a love for God and a love for our neighbors is beautiful and valuable and will be rewarded a hundred times over in the kingdom of heaven. 
But suffering and sacrifice chosen for other reasons, that gains us nothing. So how do you know if you are motivated by love of God and love of neighbor? If you are on the right track to being the true firsts? Well, Jesus' parable gives us one clue, one diagnostic, which is, do we love mercy and generosity? You know, the people who end up last in the parable, it's important to recognize, it's not because they work the most. There's nothing wrong with working all day. In fact, that's good. And if you want to spend your life wisely, there is nothing, no better way to spend it than working in God's field. That's not their problem. The reason they're last is not because they work the most. The, words, the reason they're last at the end is because they're miserable. And why are they miserable? They're miserable because the generosity of the landowner offends them. Right? They're not miserable because they didn't get what they were promised. They're not miserable because they don't have what they need. They're miserable because they can't be happy unless they're being given more than the people who work less. They wouldn't even know, right, that, that the people that worked shorter than them were paid a different amount or were paid the same if they weren't in the right place at the right time, right? If they had never known, they probably would have been fine. Right? But the fact that they knew, they said, no, that's not right. They could only be happy if they knew that they would be giving more than the people who work less. And that attitude is a good diagnostic, a good heart check for us, that something's off in our motivation. If we love God, we will love mercy and generosity, because as the parable tells us, God is generous. Right? To love God is to love his attributes. So if we love God, we will love mercy and generosity. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves, then of course we're going to love mercy and generosity because we would want to be the recipients of mercy and generosity. Right? So love for God and love for neighbor and love of mercy and generosity go hand in hand. They're tied together. I remember a few years ago, I read this story about a CEO named Dan Price who did something very unusual. So, he, uh, he realized that CEOs, on average, make 320 times more money than their workers. And he was making a lot more money than his workers. I don't think it was 320 times more, but it was a lot. And so he thought, I'm going to try something different. Rather than keeping so much of the profits for myself, I'm going to really up the minimum starting salary at my company. And I'm going to do that by taking a huge pay cut. And so he raised uh, the minimum salary to 70000 a year. And there were a lot of people saying, oh, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And it did work. This company has done really well. And uh, they had a very rough time during the pandemic. But the workers were so devoted that they were like, we will take a pay cut to keep this company going. And they did. And then they recovered. And then it went, the CEO raised it back up. So anyway, um, 
Several years ago, when I read about this CEO doing this, I thought, oh, that is such a great story. Like, that's something that people need to hear about. I just think that's really beautiful, so honorable that a CEO would say, I, I don't need to hoard all the profits. You know, I, I can share it among my workers so that they can actually have a, a, livable, a livable income. So I, uh, I took the story and I shared it on social media. Well, would you believe that not everybody felt the same way? I thought that was safe, right? You know, there's a lot of things I, I think if I say this on Facebook, people are going to hate me. I thought that this is an easy one, right? Well, one person was very offended. Not someone any of you would know, okay? So I made sure not throwing anyone under the bus would be listening right now. But this person commented and said something like, this is a slap in the face to all of us who have worked hard to make money. Minimum salaries in the company should not be that high. I had to work years to make that much money. So I guess we know how he would react to the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Right? He thought, no one should have what I have without suffering just as much for it. That's unjust. Everyone should have to go through the same pain I have. Well, you know, if you want that principle to reign in life, we're all in trouble, right? Think about the suffering of people in Auschwitz. Those who made it through that. Should we say, well, whatever they had afterwards, nobody should be able to attain the same enjoyment unless they go through the same pain. We should resent anyone who does it. Jesus is telling us, this attitude, that doesn't fly in the kingdom of heaven. If that's your attitude, you're not going to like heaven. You should just know that right now. Because the kingdom of heaven is a place that values generosity and mercy far more than your idea of fairness. So if you are finding that attitude within you, that attitude that says, everybody should have to suffer just as much, to attain the same, just decent standard of living. If you find that within yourself, invite the Holy Spirit to kill it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Invite him to free you from your envy and your pride and to truly love God and your neighbor as yourself. This parable tells us that the, the kingdom of heaven is run by a very generous CEO. More generous than Dan Price. He doesn't hoard his wealth. In fact, he gives his wealth away. He actually gave his life so that rich people and prodigal sons and lazy loiterers would have a chance to be saved. What is impossible with man is possible with God because of the generosity of God. And that is worth celebrating, not resenting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news in this parable. And Lord, I pray that if there is any of that kind of envy and resentment in us that this parable uh, describes, that you would root it out. Lord, help us to be generous, merciful people who celebrate and reflect your mercy and generosity. 
And Father, we pray for those who are still standing in the marketplace, so to speak, who have uh, rejected your invitation. We pray that this morning that they would feel you calling and they would open their hearts to you and they would come and follow and that they would experience the joy of working in your field and in the end receiving everything that they need. And for any sacrifice they've made, may they know that they will receive a hundred times over. Lord, give us that confidence and that faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.